This episode of Inside Fashion is brought to you by Shopify Plus. From the first sketch to the retail floor, you need a commerce platform to help you scale at the speed of your ideas. That's why the world's fastest growing brands like Steve Madden, Chubby's, Le Sportsac, and Gymshark rely on Shopify Plus to sell to their customers around the world. You'll be able to go wherever your customers are, from New York to Milan to Instagram. And they'll make sure you look brilliant in every size, from pop-up shop to mobile. Join over 5,000 brands on Shopify Plus at shopify.com forward slash BOF. I've always thought that we'd be seeing a rebirth of, of a sort of punk ethos. And I guess I'm kind of still waiting for that. Craig Green to me is, is menswear's number one reason to be cheerful right now. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, Zanya. I mean, the most beautiful thing in that show was a, was a upcycled cashmere coat. You know, good design is sustainable design in the end. You're dealing with the incontrovertible fact that he would have hated the whole idea. What, you mean the big, more than life-size portraits all over the Grand Palais? Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. This week on Inside Fashion, I sit down with our editor-at-large, Tim Blanks, to talk about the menswear season that was. Tim, as usual, traveled from London to Milan to Paris. He had all the inside scoops and of course, the most authoritative perspective on this season's menswear shows. We also speak a little bit about the memorial for Karl Lagerfeld, who passed away earlier this year. Probably one of the best attended memorials fashion industry has ever seen. So here's Tim Blanks, Inside Fashion. Tim Blanks, (laughs) welcome back to London. Thank you. We're here for our seasonal review of the men's shows. London, Milan, and Paris. Overall thoughts? Um, I was enthused here and there. Um, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement of the no, season. No, but I, it's interesting. What 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 I loved was, I, I suppose, the clothes that you would think of as being the clothes of sort of dreamers and idealists. Um, that that um, maybe is significant. I mean, it it seems that. Uh, you know, for the longest time, I've been wondering why when the, the political situation in, in the, almost the whole world seems to be so tense and, and, and pressed at the moment that there's not more reflection of that in fashion. Why, why fashion, why we shouldn't be seeing stuff that's edgier rather than stuff that's escape about escape. But I, I guess maybe things are so bad that, that escape is, is the preference right now. And the people's activist instincts are being exercised elsewhere, you know, through Extinction Rebellion and organizations. It's so interesting that you raised that because my first question to you was, was going to be about the fact that if fashion reflects culture and what's going on in the wider world, like how is that being shown on the runways? And you're saying that really you don't see a reflection of this like intense political climate reflected directly on the on the catwalks well i think it i think it's interesting that um i during the week a a couple of people meant brought that brought raised that fact about fashion being a reflection and said that they were opting this it seemed to be opting at the moment for fashion as a rejection Mm -hmm. rather than a reflection and um I mean, that made for, I think that made for 
some extremely beautiful collections. Um, but you know, I've I've always thought I've always thought that we'd be seeing uh, we'd be seeing a rebirth of of a sort of punk ethos um, in the in the way in the way that punk kind of took shape in the seventies in, in similar political and economic um, circumstances. And I guess I'm kind of still waiting for that. Hmm, I wonder I wonder why that is. I wonder why that people are do you know is that a, is that a a sense of having already given up like it just there's a there's a general sense of like just people throwing their hands up in the air right now saying like i just feel like i have no control over what's going on i have no impact i have no way of shaping the environment around me do you think that's kind of somehow permeated well, I th- a creative group i think you're looking at a, a culture which has just been which is just scattering into a million fragments yeah and um it's 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 choosing where you make your stand it's where do you fight your battles i mean the most um inspiring collections of the season i suppose even i'm talking about escape in a way they did engage in in another way um i mean rick owens's collection i thought was uh incredible for um for what he actually brought to his catwalk for the for what seemed to be the first time, what felt like the first time to me, really direct, stated, a really direct activist sensibility engaged by, you know, the fact that his mother is Mexican and she's getting old now and she needs to be close to her family in Mexico and there's a man talking about building a wall between her and her family. So that becomes a point of principle in a way that it hasn't in the past, I guess. You said that it was his most direct men's collection in your review. What did you mean by that? Uh, the, the engagement. Um, you know, he he was talking about his family. He was talking about his background um, He and his roots, I suppose. And... Uh, he had an Aztec, a group of Aztec musicians um, who were playing along with uh, the soundtrack, and they did a Aztec blessing backstage. And he's, I think, Rick has always been somebody who, who whose finger is on a primal pulse. You know, he's, he's, you could, you could almost imagine him designing in four thousand BC, just as much as you can imagine him designing in two thousand AD. But this time, there was, a, there was a direct, there was, there was, when he talked about his family, which he's never ever, he's never ever talked about his family that that much to me um, before. His father translating for migrant workers, for example, for the local public um, law office. Um, hmm. I mean. And these these things influenced him, and he's never actually talked. You know, he talks about Larry Legaspi, or last season he was talking about Larry Legaspi. This season, when he talked about Aztecs, I mean, he's talked about ancient Greece and ancient Rome and ancient Egypt. But before. this was much more personal. He talked about yeah. yeah. When he talked about the Aztecs, he's talking about his mother's family, right? Um, you know, his 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 own genetic roots, which is um, quite. It was very moving, I thought. Yeah. And other highlights? 
Well, you know, I'm, I thought uh, completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I thought Kim Jones at Dior, the show was funny, speaking of the sort of majesty of antiquity or whatever, but the, the, what, what working with the, the artist Daniel Arsham did um, for Kim this, this season was that there was a sort of monumental, there's always a monumentalism there but this this time it was it, it reminded me of that that um poem Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley that the the notion of 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 um yeah it's arcane I know but it was arcane it was arcane <laughs> we're all shrugging our shoulders <laughs> yeah, here in the office it up, look it up it's a magnificent poem Wikipedia moment it's a magnificent poem <laughs> um because you know a romantic romantic but also the the Daniel Arsham making those huge D-I-O-R letters down the middle of a pink sand catwalk. Uh, you felt you're maybe on another planet looking at the ruins of a civilization, which is what Daniel Arsham does in his work. He creates archaeological objects out of things like Walkmans and transistor radios right, and, right. and Mickey Mouse dolls and so makes an archaeology of our culture. You, and, and that's Kim is such a curator. He, he, he is so absorbed by the what what might seem like the detritus of the past which he celebrates in his curation like i said in my review you know a club flyer or a 12-inch single becomes like this incredible cultural totem so working with daniel arsham it was almost like they were looking back at dior spring summer 2020 from the distant future and recreating something from artifacts like mr dior's telephone mr dior's clock Mr. Dior's desk. I remember Stanley Kubrick did this at the end of 2001 um, with that chamber where all time and space converged. Mm -hmm. And I, f I really had that feeling. I thought, wow, I really like that somebody can do that to me with a fashion show. And, and to bring that sort of sci-fi-ish element, you know the thing I have loved so much about um, fashion, one of the things I love so much about fashion over the last 25 years, when people used to talk about the influence of 2001 on pop culture, the influence of Gattaca, which is a movie that people talked about furiously for a little while, and then um, they stopped talking about it. But I, I, I bring it back sometimes because there's that wonderful sense of a sort of dystopia slash utopia, and then Kim made it all so incredibly beautiful. And this is another thing that, that fascinates me um, when I'm looking at a collection like that, the sheer exquisiteness of the craftsmanship, the, the incredible things that they do that they don't really need to do to, you know, I don't think that, that a, a guy walks into the Dior Man boutique and says, I'm looking for a pleated Georgette, you know, this, you don't know you want these things till you see them. I says it's the essence of fashion in a way, I suppose, but, uh, or the aim of fashion. But, but. Did you get a sense from Kim though about, you know, I, apparently the market's responding well to his, to your men, but do you think they're really walking in and buying those quite particular well, items and, and or are they buying the, you know, no, the clobber? I, I've read on BOF that, um, the Asian market is actually so fashion forward compared to yeah. its European equivalent that young guys actually do have an incredible appreciation of this craftsmanship. And it's, it's that there were those two things in Kim in the Dior show that I thought were just 
mind-blowing. One was that Peter Georgette, the, the, the cobalt blue on the organza bomber jacket. And the other was the Kyoto kimono craftsman, beloved of Edward, of Edward Crutchley, who's used the same guy in his own collections and who works, works on fabrics Kim, for Kim, yeah. who hand-painted uh, the Toile du um, design. Um, this guy makes three things a year, apparently. Wow. And he'd hand-painted this. And so you think, well, there's probably people in France where Toile du Joux comes from who could do that, that sort of curly-whirly pattern on the jumpsuit. But no, let's get the Kyoto guy to do it. So here's another question for you, because you know I know that you go do a preview with Kim every season, and he gives you kind of an up-close and personal look at all of this stuff. But do you think these details are perceptible from the runway via an Instagram image, which is no, where... No, of course they're not. Yeah. Absolutely not. I mean, you might see on that, on that, on the, on the organza bomber, the, the design with a, it looked like lungs. It looked like big cobalt blue lungs, which I thought, well, it's striking. Yeah. It's a striking image, whether you know that the God that is in those details. Same thing with Virgil in... Louis Vuitton, he did this um, blouson from pleated chiffon that was so micro-pleated that it was quite dense. And when you when you ruffled your finger over it, it was like, you know, like stroking an animal yeah, or something. It's like those um, pin tuck, yeah, but you know? Yeah, super like, yeah. like micro-pin tucking. Again, you see that coming down the catwalk, you wouldn't have a clue that, it, that when you touch it, it kind of it was like a beautiful flower or whatever. That, that kind of detail, is so strictly for the guy who buys the, buys a piece of clothing, which, when you think about it, is the essence of haute couture too. The, the 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 notion of the private pleasure, and I think that is important in fashion now. I, I think that is important for um, when you talk about escape. That it's not a retreat really, because it's an education. These things are an education. You're not going back to something you know. You're going forward to something that you're learning about. And to me, that's haute couture, the haute couture sensibility reflected in menswear. It, it is like going to the most amazing tailor in the world to have something made with the lining you choose and your name embroidered in the suit. I mean, it's this whole thing that nobody else knows about except you. Yeah. And I think that that's what these details are they're about. They're about this sort of, there's something, that they're making fashion so precious that you will not, not wear that jacket next season. You will have that thing forevermore. It'll be, you know, when Alinda Evangelista had that yellow John Galliano dress that she wore in the pinup show hanging at the end of her bed. So it was the first thing she saw every morning when she mm -hmm. woke up. This is what these clothes are like. I put one of my Craig Green jackets on a on a on a on the closet door on a on a coat hanger. So I could see that every morning because it just you just look at it and you think you're just transported. You think, ah, another day. Wow, fashion is inspiration in the era of Brexit and Trump uh, makes us keep going. I mean, it's an interesting contradiction that you know both Virgil and Kim have to or balance that they have to achieve, right? Just like th these clothes, as you say, they're like very finely crafted, you know, and they're very expensive. And they may resonate with this very sophisticated consumer, but at this and those details, you know, you really need to be close to the clothes to appreciate them. But at the same time, they both succeed in creating this huge online response to what they do. And so like they create these spectacular moments that translate 
you know, like Virgil took over the Place Dauphine and um, Kim created another one of these sets that just translates very well. So they're thinking both of the like instant impact on Instagram and then they're thinking about how do I create something that kind of feels special to the customer when they engage with the, the yeah, product. It, it, but it's not like it's particularly, what's new is the technology all around capturing it. I mean, if, if we'd had Instagram when, when Galliano did that show at the Opera Garnier, the Marchese Cassati show at the end of the 90s, oh, he would have, what's the word? You know, when you bring Instagram to its knees? Um, um, you, I don't know, you break it? You break it. He would have broken Instagram. Yeah. Um, there were so many moments. Raph Simmons with the models coming down the escalators. And, the, you know, it, there's always been that. I mean, what there is now is that there's instant ability to, to see it moving, you know, to see it as it's happening. I mean, with the Celine show last night, it was fascinating because I watched it on, on um, I was kind of watching it on the phone as people were, Grabbing. You know, yes, and I was watching watching their feed, and it was the, the sense of occasion was quite fabulous. I thought that that was you know proving once again that Eddie Sloman is one of the master showmen of fashion. But um, the build with that thing coming up and the, the um, red curtain, the red box. curtain, the yeah, David Lynch red curtain rising. Um, yeah, that that there's it. There's always been that. And, and I think what before you used to think, oh, God, I wish everybody could see what I'm looking at right now. I wish people could see Naomi Campbell riding into the Garda doodad on a front of a steam engine. And, and now they can, you yeah. know, and, and, and all that magic is available to the world. And I hope it rubs off. But it's the rare designer that manages to create both the spectacle and the craft. Right. And I think that's, yes, that's yes. the real trick now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and I both really love the Craig Green show. Should we talk a bit about that one? Yeah. Yeah. Because Craig Green to me is, is, is menswear's number one reason to be cheerful right now. That's a nice way of putting it. Mm. I just love the fact that there actually is a big audience for what he does. That makes me feel good about people because his clothes are not easy. And the, and the, the thought processes behind them are challenging. And, and um, I mean, if you, can, if, you can go, if you can go where he wants to take you, I think your life is improved, which is um, great. I mean, it's all you could ever hope for when you're making art, mm. that you're making people's lives better. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, I don't know, it was like everything you saw in double because he had that mirrored runway and it was yes. really striking. Yes. But also there's just, uh, there's an incredible consistency in what he does, but he manages to interpret, like it's that beautiful thing that the rare designer does, which is they have a signature, but it doesn't get boring. They're not trapped by it. Well, you you know, there was that moment there when he started and I was I was on my hind legs with glee um, and crying and, you know, really caught up in the emotion of the moment. And then I thought, oh, where's he going to take this? And then there was one season which felt like a bit, a bit of a, ooh, Do you okay, remember which season? Treading water. No, my, I, I have no head for numbers. I thought you had an elephant like a memory. <laughs> a memory like an elephant, rather. I have a trunk. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, no, that was just this one moment and then boom, off to the races every season since then. Because I, there was a moment where you thought, okay, what, how can you expand on that aesthetic? The robes, the ties, the sort of 
sci-fi work aware the the um the the kind of cabalistic uh sense of a, of a priesthood or a, a community i always used to think of a community on a clifftop somewhere cut off from the world and just ritualistic thing very ritualistic yeah then the bare feet and you know the collection where people talked about the children's crusade and you're just thinking wow there is just so much going on here and and then what what came in was this incredible incredible um his just so smart his ability to balance uh clothes that you could call almost like everyday craig green that women are drawn to as much as men with the other kind of Kabbalistic, uh, secret society, um, uh, science meets arcana kind of edge. Like this season, the whole thing about skin, I mean, the clothes were so beautiful, but then if you, he just can, he can take you somewhere extremely dark. Um, and the notion of there was a sort of thing of flaying almost that some of the most beautiful pieces were actually skin were actually representative of musculature that skin had been ripped off um or peeled away from i should say uh it's almost like leonardo i was sitting there thinking oh you know leonardo da vinci draw drew all those oh yeah there's like, the like anatomy and, stuff and yeah. anatomy so where he would flay corpses yeah. and you get that same sense of questing with Craig, the, a curiosity, a, a real like going behind things. I mean, going behind the surface to, to find, uh, even using that song, Goodbye Horses from um, Silence of the Lambs. And, you know, when that, in that scene in the movie, Buffalo Bill is dancing around um, with his skin suit on mm. that he's making out of people, you know. And and to have that to even have that as a as a as a suggestion is 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 quite dark. But at the same time, you're looking at something which is just mind blowingly beautiful. Like uh, there's something I think quite angelic about what he does, and angelic about him. It feels light. Mm-hmm. But angels, you know, an- angelic and then demonic too. So yeah. angels and demons, which is you know, which is fantastic to experience one of the other things that you speaking of craig one of the other things that you said in your virgil review was that um there may have been a little bit of craig green in there and a little bit of something else in there and that we now live in this age of instant critique the other that's the other side of instagram everyone can experience the show but everyone can critique the show and that, you know, anytime you post anything about Virgil, that these like huge crowds of trolls appear. Tell me about and, it. And, you know, a lot of people were calling Virgil out on this, this season, the, the kind of main theme was, well, he'd taken heavy inspiration from some of the stuff Craig has been known for, including those structures, those very unique structures that many of Craig's shows have featured. And the sense of thing and the things tied together and the layering and yeah. the lacing and the So that's two the questions. Signature. Two yeah. questions. One, what's your take on the the Virgil copy and Craig? And the second question is, you know, how you know, is is it how do you feel about the kind of online reaction? Um I well <laughs> You know, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. And it's, I'm sure Picasso or somebody said something like that. But, you know, um, 
I also, I mean, and then something else in me says, oh, I'm so glad everybody knows it's Craig Green because... It elevates him. It, uh, but, well, but, but or it recognizes re- him. recognizes that he is the... Originator. Originator. Not, it, it's very, it, it feels different to me when it is somebody like Kaiser Wong years ago when Nicolai Jeskier took something lock, stock and barrel from Kaiser Wong, this little San Francisco, this small San Franciscan designer. It's like Tom Ford said he didn't even move the buttons. And um, that's different because when, when, I, when I feel it's somebody who, and I look, you know, a starving artist, for example, who has no, who, who, it's the same way I feel when, you know, Alfred Hitchcock used to steal from a writer I really loved and nobody knew he, who the writer was. And I used to think, well, you give know, credit where it's give due. credit where it's due. I, I mean, you know, Virgil didn't stand up and say, I've been looking at the work of Craig Green this season. Um, and that was for everybody else to kind of make a point of point of that. Um, you know, the, 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 the very, the very, oh, everything is so fluid now. Absolutely everything is, is so fluid. The, once you start saying who did this first, you're in a, you're opening a hornet's nest because you can go on and on and on. And I've been in fashion long enough to know that every time I hear an argument about who did this particular thing first, I could say, well, actually, the person that you're saying was the originator of that actually got it from this person, you got it from that person. Mark Jacobs would make that point too, you know, about, about the the long, you know, that that's the, the the long process from, say, Adolfo to going back to a Chanel jacket. Well, Chanel got her inspiration from fishermen's tweeds, you know, and, and then it, the, the, to find where things started um, is, is, is increasingly, it's an increasingly. So are you saying that someone like Craig should see it as kind of recognition or flattery that, that, you know, his, something that he may have potentially originated is being reinterpreted by a contemporary? Well, he's an influence. He is an influence. Craig Green is an influence in menswear. It's not only, you don't only see those, that, that's that something you could say is green in, in Vuitton. There's, you feel him as an inspiration elsewhere. And, and thank God, I mean, thank God that, that somebody, somebody like him is there to be an inspiration. Um, I think it probably, I mean, Virgil is such an intensely polarizing person um, Hence the trolls. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what I think is bizarre sitting with him. You know, when he starts talking about the red balloon being one of his influences. Now, and I wrote that that was the first movie I ever saw, so it has that place in my heart. That 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 it was literally the first time I'd ever been in a movie theater in you my said, life. You said you told us that your grandmother took, took you took me to the Century Theater at in the bottom Auckland. of Queen Street in Auckland, New yeah. Zealand, and it was a flea pit. But we sat there, th- and I. The movie had become something else in my mind. I looked it up. It was 30 minutes long, and it, was the sh- it won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay in 1956. It's the only short film ever to win an Oscar for, for original screenplay. But, so in my mind, it had become something else. But he mentioned this, and I'm thinking, wow, I mean, of how, all how films. does this guy know about this movie? Apparently, it's super famous. I didn't realize that. But anyway, he presses emotional buttons. That when, he, when he told that to me, I was like, you know, I've, I choked up. I thought, just I thought, I remember the whole event and going to see the movie really, really vividly. And then I posted something 
and uh, with the red balloon. And then boom, it's like, oh, you never criticize anything anymore. You, why aren't you taking Virgil down? Well, I posted a picture of a red balloon, for God's sake, give me a break. But um, the- That's why all famous people, they just say, don't read the comments. <laughs> they learned that don't lesson. Don't complain, don't explain. Yeah. Um, I think... I think what this exhibition in Chicago, which I probably won't get to see. You mean Virgil's exhibition? Virgil's exhibition interests me because he said fashion is 30% of it. And if you could clarify for everybody how how his practice is huge. I mean, it is. He has fingers in so many pies. I mean, he's almost octopoid. Yeah, prolific is an understatement. Yeah, and fashion is not... Everything. I think I've, I'm wondering now that if if fashion is is clearly part is clearly distinct from the other seventy percent of what he does, I'm wondering what will happen to his work in fashion now. I felt this season in both Off White and Vuitton there was substantial progress. Um, I thought, um, and I think Lauren did in her review as well. That she did. I think people were a lot more positive about um, about him. Um, especially with Vuitton. Yeah. Should we talk about Raph coming back? Yeah. How is that? I loved that show. I missed that show because I wasn't in Paris that I day. loved that show. And it's so funny. I really feel like, you know, like an Inuit elder on an ice, drifting away on an iceberg when I read about what everybody else said about, about his scathing attack on American capitalism or capitalism in general or corporate thought, corporate thing. And of course there was then the cor- corollary, which was, it was like a commentary on his time at a big American corporate. Yeah. Yeah. If, and, and, you know, using the music that he used to using that, this is not America, but from, but not the David Bowie version, the version from the David Bowie musical Lazarus, which, Michel Gobert always used to close the, the Calvin Klein shows in New York with so there'd be echoes. Um, and there's sort of little visual crossovers here and there. I, I, I thought maybe less Warhol, which there was at Calvin Klein, more Rauschenberg, which there was this time. But the big connection, and I don't know if people made it because maybe this is not so many people who are so anal about fashion show invitations, and I really am is he did a show called History of the World. Um, 2005, you said. Yeah, where he listed things that have made his, that are, the, that are part of the history of his world. And it's a very, very, um, it's it's quite a diverse list. And it's it's it requires a little bit of research to work out who everybody is. And then he did it again on this invitation. And so if you make the connection there, but because that was his 10th anniversary and that was a huge year for him. That was the year when he did make the quantum leap from being the cult to being the, the sort of icon. And this is his 25th. So have the um, list changed? The list had changed. He'd edited it. He had, he had added some people, but the, he had taken off Jonas Salk, um, who invented the polio vaccine and who gave it away, who wouldn't sell it to big pharma. Of course. And he kept Giordano, who was burned at the stake in 1600 for saying that um, the earth revolved around the sun, basically. He was a monk, but he was very, he was a scientific monk. And both of those people, in the sense that they were idealists who, um, who were persecuted for their idealism, in a way, 
Um, I thought that was kind of telling that because Raf is a very idealistic individual and the sense that a power structure had persecuted him. I thought that was uh, power structures had persecuted these idealists that he was keen to talk about um, in the context of his show. I thought that was quite a, and I thought that was quite an interesting point, quite oblique. He didn't make a big deal, but you could see, you know, he's a very measured um, and um, reflective individual. Uh, I was thinking more, I got, so I got that, but I was also thinking more the joy of being home, um, the joy of being back in Antwerp and, and the joy of having the one thing to focus on that is him. I thought, you know, reintroducing himself to his constituency, his models, for example, the, the sense of, of, to me, that show felt like um, an, a reintroduction to his early golden years and also shows that I never saw to begin with. It's been quite some time since he's done a show when he wasn't simultaneously yes. thinking about yeah. Jill Sander or Dior yeah. or Calvin yeah. Klein. Yeah. So I wonder how that impacts your creativity well, I think it, it wasn't it wasn't like a greatest hits or anything but it was definitely like a, a sort of exploration of the world of raf um and i thought it was i thought it was well here's me i thought it was quite uplifting but um, not everyone did well maybe dystopia uplifts me maybe right. that's how perverse i am speaking of america there were some young Americans showing in Paris, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Phipps and... Spencer Phipps, who actually, uh, interesting, worked at Dries for a long, long time. Yeah, he did. Cisse That's Marjol right. Yeah, came from New York to show in Paris, also worked at Dries for a long, long time. And then Emily Bodie's first ever runway show. And? Well, you know, it's funny because Tom, F Tom Ford's big commitment as the new head of the CFDA is to promote American fashion internationally. And we had those three there. And during Couture, we had two more Americans, Ra Ralph Rucci showing at the invitation of the Chambre Syndicale and Daniel Rosebery designing Scaparelli. So it's, 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 co it's coincidence, but there is a strong American presence just as Tom Ford is making this statement. I, I thought um, it was that they were the three voices were very distinct. Um, Cease, uh, I mean Sandor Black in New York, um, the, design, the designer for Cease Marjon, has always had more the, the color and the, the color sense and the languor has always seemed to me something that is quite reflective of his time with Dries, um, and it stood out in New York. Um, Emily's Emily Bodie's clothes, I love. They're, the, they're some of the most narrative pieces in in fashion at the moment. They're, they're so fine and they seem so fragile and they have such incredible stories to tell, like her own story is so incredible. And then um, Spencer Phipps, his story is, is a kind of frontier spirit, Americana, um, quite, you know, hiking, um, hyper-masculine, um, what I got from his show was the sort of men living off the grid. You know, I mentioned the photographer Alex Soth to him, who, who has done some amazing photographs of, of exactly that, people who live in caves and the painted desert and so on. And, and I don't think anybody really approached them as three, uh, thinking of them as a group, you know. Um, 
they're, they're extremely individual and Spence has only ever shown in Europe and worked in Europe anyway. But, um, but in, interesting, I mean, I looked them up and, and Emily Bodie's family did come to America on the Mayflower. Oh, wow. And the Phipps family, I'd, Spencer said he's not connected with the, with the Phipps family, but, but great, 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 someone or other Phipps was Andrew Carnegie's business partner in Philadelphia. I think um, that would make sense. So Phipps and Bodie are very fine old American names. Um, anyway, that's just my little sort of you know, when I do my research. And oh, there's another coincidence. And this is coincidence is all adding up. I thought her she wasn't ready for the runway. Yeah. I think you really need to um, you really need to sit with her clothes and really feel them. And yeah. and 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 that the, and the ideal way to discover an Emily Bodie collection, I think, would be to find a gigantic trunk. And open it up, and there'd be all these incredible things. Yeah, I in remember there. when I met her at the LVMH Prize um, presentation thing that they do. It's really striking when she like walks you through, and you and you see the details up close. Um, and she she and Spencer are both finalists, I think. Yes, yes. So the other, you know, one thing that came up a lot in the as I was going through the LVMH prize finalists in, in Paris during the women's collections was the, the theme of sustainability. And, you know, one thing that you know you were just mentioning was that that came up also more than usual in the shows this season, but from a creative standpoint. Well, I, I think if you look at say what um, Alessandro Sartori is doing at Xenia with the, um, Zenia capabilities, fabric capabilities, the, the circularity there, 25% of the collection being um, recycled, upcycled um, fiber. Uh, I, I mean, the most beautiful thing in that show was a, was a upcycled cashmere coat that was just, I mean, you look at things like that and you think, wow. I mean that that it's not just the future. It's the future of luxury. It's the future of everything. That the the, the if, if if people see that as the as added value, you know that this coat is made from old cashmere coats or jackets or whatever. And then it was all this sportswear and regenerated nylon. Um, and I, you know, the the process is fascinating to me. Um, I don't really quite understand it when he's telling me that uh, how the, that these things can go around four times. Um, That's the whole circularity yeah, thing. Yeah. It's funny because Prada just announced today on BOF that they are starting a whole new project on reclaimed nylon from ocean plastics, fishing nets. And so this idea of like... And they're not going to use virgin nylon anymore. Exactly. Like, they're yeah. going to phase it out. So this whole idea that sustainability starts in the design process, you know, that's that's a really important idea because... You know, good design is sustainable design in the end. Well, he he, uh, Alessandro was also saying that that um, when you recycle and upcycle fibers, they become shorter and they become crunchier. So the hand of the fabric changes, and that becomes a whole other opportunity for a designer to work with. So he was he was um, he crushed the crushed cloth. He did these he did he did these pieces that were made out of um, fabric that looked like it had been you know, like had the crunchiness ironed into it, like Issey Miyake used to do. I wanted to talk about the other, the other sustainability thing. That, you know, um, in the Sakai collection, the T-shirts were made from protein. 
by this bio biotech company called Spiber. So is that recycled or is it biomanufactured? It's, it's, bi it's biomanufactured. So it's not recycling, really. It's not recycling, but yeah. it's 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 sustainable. It's, yeah. it's not. It's it's it's. It's yeah. that it's that company that Daisuke was telling us about. Yes. Yeah. It's, last so, it's, so there there is this there is the sustainability. There is a, the upcycling, recycling, the reuse, and then there's the sort of technology finding solutions yeah. as well. Do you remember those speakers from Voices, um, Andreas Forgax yes. and Nat Sai, yeah. who spoke of biomanufacturing? Yes. Yeah, you see it starting to actually yeah. slowly permeate itself into, into the I design mean, if you process. I think environmentally that, that within, a, within a few decades, it's conceivable there'll be, no, there'll be no land to graze animals on anymore. So the only meat people are going to be eating is going to be grown meat, not farmed meat. Um, yeah, and in fashion, I think um, you you would you'd see that already. I, th I think it's the sort of thing that, that adds that, like I said, added value. I don't want to finish this without talking about that Loewe show in Paris, which was pretty major. The jalabas and the pastels. Why, was it, why, why did it have that effect on people? I don't I'm so know. Curious. Everyone Every walked out feeling pretty pumped about that show. I think. I think um, I didn't, and I didn't speak to Jonathan backstage. So you did. What was he saying? We was talking about hyper hyper normalization, but I'm not sure that that was particularly um, on point. Uh, it, it's it it really was a continuation of what he has been doing at at Loewe, The sort of the Balearicization, the Balearicization <laughs> of no, but but more than I thought it was more. I was getting more. Tangiers, just because jalabas and and, but I love the way that he would put them with matching trousers. So you had something that was like a suit, called it a new suit. Um, well, in India, that is a suit. Yeah, it's called a salwar kameez. You know, that's you know that's how yes. they wear it. Yes, yeah. I I thought there was just such a joy in that collection, and and you or know, a kurta pajama rather. Actually. And he mm -hmm. um, and using the soundtrack from Alice in Wonderland, you know, the sense. He was talking about escape and um, romantic young nomads. Um, but at the same time, um, it, 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 felt, it felt real to me. It actually, I look, looking at it, I thought, I would, that's sort of the way I kind of fancy dressing. Um, not fancy dressing, but I would feel like to like dress. I would like to dress. Yeah. Uh, it was there's thought there's a lot of thought in it there's there's joy there's the same kind of thing he does in his own collections is a sort of playfulness yeah. um and a, and a sort of there is a sort of fairy tale element in in that and and it isn't really um uh it isn't really tied to what you see anywhere else i mean when i think he was talking about that that sense of building your own world which was where the hyper normalization came in that that because reality is so out of control that you start seeing this fake this the, the sort of fake reality which is hyper reality which is what the adam curtis film was about and and so in the end you know he's talking about fashion not being a reflection being a rejection dries van noten said the same thing as well fashion is reflection is rejection not reflection this season I think as long as designers make clothes that have that, that are so engaging 
and inspiring. The, the notion of rejection doesn't seem as nihilistic as it might otherwise. And we will still we'll go on looking to them for uplift in um, these troubled times. Probably the most talked about moment during this fashion week wasn't a fashion show, though. Oh, um, should we yes. talk about Carl's Memorial yeah, for yeah. a minute? Well, because that was, a, again, it was quite a polarizing event. Yeah. What did you make of it? Well, th- you're dealing with the incontrovertible fact that he would have hated the whole idea. With what, you mean the big, more than life-size portraits all over the Grand Palais? Just, it was everything he had asked for that wasn't, you know, everything, every, well, everything he hadn't asked for. He didn't want to. Yeah, didn't you know, like an old Viking, put him in his longboat and push him out. But to in sea. a way, I think, I think a lot of people in the industry were looking for a way to officially remember him, and what? so it was more for the mourners than for the mourned. And I mean, death um, is sad for the people who are left behind. Are left behind. Death yeah. isn't sad for the dead person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that was for everybody to feel good about how much they missed Carl. Mm. It was like a variety show. I mean, it was like turn after turn after turn. It was quite funny like that. I mean, here's Tilda Swinton doing Orlando and here's a tango dancers and here's a, here's a little buck doing his dance to Ryuchi Sakamoto. And there's Helen Mirren doing a little routine and there's the tango dancers again. And, and there's Pharrell. And it was just like, you know, like a, like a variety show. Yeah. And and the the connection to things that that um, you loved about Carl was was not was perhaps a little more tenuous. But then, how would you have when he was on screen talking and some of the amazing things he says, some of the pointed little asides, and some of the just the the, the aphorisms that just dropped out and of you his know mouth. What I realized is that um, the first time I interviewed him. He'd used all these expressions with me, and clearly he just used those same expressions with everybody because they <laughs> they were coming up in all of these different sessions. Like I never look forward, I never look back. I look forward. If when you look past the future is second, uh, there's just like these things that he must have said over and over again. But I think the best thing was the end, right? Oh, of course. Oh my god, that was so funny. Yeah, where he was breaking up when yeah. he was doing that. Yeah. I hope yeah. they release that so everyone just for that bit at the end, because that was Carl in his most unguarded, unvarnished. That like no one, no one ever saw. Very him like few that. people saw him yeah. like that, and it was so beautiful to see that kind of humor and vitality, and just like. Oh, then he was doing yeah. that. He was doing the samba with Sandy Brandt. Oh yes, Havana. that was That true. was cute as well. Yeah, yeah, that was really cute. Yeah. Um, I mean. What what can you say that hasn't really, really, what can you say that hasn't already been said about Karl Lagerfeld in the last few months? There is very little left to say. And I'm not sure that that, that memorial added particularly much to the conversation. Um, Though everybody talked about it. Yeah, and everybody was there. And, and it was fascinating to see the interplay of the, the you know, the power structure, the various power structures of fashion and politics interweaving there. Yeah. Yeah. And Mr. Valentino and Ralph Lauren yes. sitting in the front row. And you are sitting there thinking, who else would the fashion industry do this for? I don't think anyone is going to get that kind of... Do you think they're sitting there wishing that they would, though? Perhaps. Um, there's no shortage of egos in this industry, as we know. But I think 
I mean, it, you know, what I, you know, apart from those emotional moments at the end, what I really took away was just like, wow, what a, what a life lived. What a, you know, what a vital, what a vital character. And that was just you know? like a sliver of I it. I know. But you still just got this sense of his like insatiable curiosity and contribution. There was another 50 years that we didn't even get a glimpse of in, exactly. that, in that event. Exactly. Well, Tim, we've run out of time. Um, that's I, I all. Ran of, ran, I ran out of brain cells, I yeah. think, during that. That's all cool. for Inside Fashion this week. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, here with our editor-at-large, Tim Blanks. It won't be too long before you hear from us again, because Tim and I are headed back to Paris next weekend for the couture shows. And if you're lucky, I'll convince him to sit down with us again and tell us all about his unique perspective of everything that happens at Fashion Week. That's all for now. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also be interested in joining BOF's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis in our Daily Digest email, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, special print issues, and all of our online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. For a limited time only, we are offering our podcast listeners an exclusive 25% discount on your first year of an annual BOF Professional membership. To get this special offer, click on the link in the episode notes, select the annual package, and enter the special code PODCAST2019 at checkout. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a rating if you did, and don't forget to share it with your friends.